0: looking today at uh, two really inspiring, fun-loving words. We're going to be looking at guilt and shame today. Uh, so I hope to explain some things that are going to be helpful for you. You know, I, I do a lot of study in um, in counseling and And I really care that the Christianity that we have, that the gospel that we preach, uh, would really transform us in our relationships. And that it's not, the gospel isn't some, just simply some list of rules that we should feel obligated to adhere to. It should really be something that transforms who we are, that changes us from the inside out, and that gives us brand new relationships. And uh, so I, I think about what society says. If you were to um, perhaps go for counseling, of course it's not every counselor, but if you were to go for counseling or you would read some books, um, that what would, what would society typically say is the problem behind the difficulties that go on in your life? Well, what's, what's making things difficult? The primary thing that you're going to be told is that your problems stem from hurt. That uh, your upbringing, things that happened to you at school, your family, that because you've been hurt, that's really your life was going in a good direction and then it kind of got bent and moved off into unhealthy things. And there's a saying that says, hurt people hurt people. And so if we can just figure out how to deal with our hurt we would be much better people. That's the first thing that society would say is the primary problem behind our personal issues. What this ends up doing is creating in us a kind of victim mentality where uh, we're kind of passive in the journey and uh, bad things happen to us and then we've just got to hope that God would dig us out of this hole, and that we would try our best to understand forgiveness and inner healing, and and that uh, that we could somehow find our way out. But I don't believe that that hurt is at the bottom of our issues. Uh, and the primary reason for this would be Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. There was no sin. There was no hurt. Everything was going super, super well, paradise, and they chose to rebel against God and go their own way. So there must be something deeper than or other than hurt that leads us to do unhelpful, unhealthy, sinful things. There's got to be something more going on. Because if it was hurt, then Adam and Eve never would have sinned because there was no hurt, there was no pain, they were never violated. What other people might say is, uh, yeah, okay, it might be hurt a little bit. But what's also going on is that we have lots of negative feelings. And uh, there's guilt inside of us. And if we can just figure out how to overcome these negative feelings and have this magical word called self-esteem. If we could just feel better about ourselves, if other people would affirm us more Tell us that we're loved and forgiven and accepted. Then we're going to be doing just fine. If you come from a, uh, a more Asian culture, what might be told you is that you lived in a shame-based culture and that uh, there's lots of external pressure on you to conform. And the reason why life is difficult for you is that you kind of lost yourself that uh, your, your family, your culture demands things of you and, and it's just restricting you and you've got to somehow break free from that. And that would be called shame. And so what, uh, what seems to be true as I, as I read and look at literature is that guilt and shame are the grand enemies of humanity and their feelings. Some people say that guilt is a feeling and shame is an identity. Uh, I don't know that that's true. But that uh, if we can just get rid of these negative feelings. And so the goal is just to somehow um, tune out reality and feel better about ourselves and our circumstances. That guilt and shame are our enemy. And that at all costs, we need to defeat these negative feelings in order to move into happiness and joy. And if you're a Christian, the life that God has for you. There are four moments, and I can say them quite quickly. There are four moments that made me question how we typically view guilt and shame. The first had to do with one of my sons. And... uh, he did some things that weren't very good. And uh, he was having a problem changing. And then there came a point in his life where there was a, a radical change of heart. Moving from being somebody who's not super nice, its not treating people very well, to that, to somebody who just dramatically changed. And so I asked him, I says, what, what made the change for you? You're a different person. What went on? And he, and he said one phrase. I felt guilty. And it struck me. That. If you and I. Don't experience guilt. We might never change. Guilt. Is super helpful. And we live in a society that is trying to suppress and ignore guilt instead of deal with it the way that God would invite us to deal with it, which we'll get to in a moment. That was point number one. Number two, as I think I mentioned a while ago, and it bears repeating in this context, uh, we were in Israel this summer with uh, eight out of our ten kids. It was an amazing time. And I asked, uh, I asked the guide that we have, REA. I've been already thinking for um, a couple years on this topic tonight. I've been waiting two years at least to preach this sermon to you. And, uh, and so I asked Aria, I says, what do you think is the difference between guilt and shame? What do you think about, you know, what do you think about shame in particular? And I wasn't talking about parenting, but he says, uh, we believe, he says, you people in the West, you've got it all wrong. He says, we embed into our parenting shame. We believe in shaming our kids. I thought, interesting. I recommend not telling anybody in the West that. That would not go well. He says, if you have no shame, you have no dignity. He says, uh, he says, I've been a commander in the army. And it would be a shameful thing to betray the person on your left or on your right. And if you're a Christian, it's a shameful thing to dishonor your God. It would be a shameful thing to dishonor the name of your family. He says, we instill in our children, it's hard to say it out loud, a deep sense of shame. I thought, okay, God bless you with that. So then I was, uh, I was meeting just a few weeks ago. I was meeting with a, a pastor friend of mine who is of Asian descent. And I was talking about this because I talked to everybody about it because it, it really interests me. And uh, I says, what, what's it like for you growing up in an Asian home? And uh, he's quite Western now, but you, he grew up in an Asian home. What's it like for you growing up in that home? He says, oh, Greg, there was a deep sense of shame in our home. And he says, uh, if I would do something that wasn't appropriate, wasn't very nice to my sister, and, uh, and I would say sorry to my sister, my mom and dad would always say to me, sorry is cheap. Sorry isn't good enough. You, you need to prove to your sister, that you're different, and that you're good. And if you don't do something, your words are empty. And your shame remains. Finally, I did a Bible study on the word shame. I went through every time in the Bible that the word shame is mentioned. And if you're in psychological circles, guilt and shame are basically the same kind of thing. Guilt is a feeling... Shame is your uh, identity. It just means it's not just about what you do, but it's who you are. And uh, and the way that you overcome shame is by uh, knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that you're accepted. And if you could feel these things really, really deep down, you would overcome your shame. If you would know that God loves you, accepts you, you'd receive the love of the Father you would be free from shame. So I went into my Bible study assuming that that's what I would find. I found the opposite. That the way that shame was addressed was actually through a behavioral change. We'll unpack all of this in a minute. But what I'd like to present to you then, given all these different snapshots that have been really messing with my western paradigm of guilt and shame i'd like to present to you my best thoughts on what i think the bible teaches about these things both their importance as well as their legitimate remedy the first is guilt guilt is easier to understand if you're a westerner in particular they say that in western society we're more guilt-based or guilt-oriented eastern societies are more shame-based or shame-oriented guilt Is the condemnation we feel. Because we are responsible for our sin. Uh, Guilt. Is an appropriate feeling. That comes on you. When you sin. But. And here's the tricky part. That more than a feeling. Guilt. Is actually a fact. Um, but if you think that guilt is only a feeling, then what you end up doing is just trying to have happier feelings. And you go, wow, I just feel like I, you know, I feel judged and condemned and I feel unworthy, and I know what I need to do. I need to re- rebuke those thoughts. Well, here's an interesting idea. What if you deserve to feel guilty? Like, what if you actually did wrong things? And maybe what God has done is built inside of us a moral conscience or responsibility, in that, when we break his moral code, we are condemned. And it's legitimate. So if it's about not, if guilt is overcome then, not by finding a better feeling, how is it overcome? Well, if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll know that this is quite obvious. But guilt is overcome, is healed through forgiveness. Um, it talks about people who have not received Forgiveness. It says, worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But then it goes on to say, by this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The way that the fact of our guilt is overcome is through Jesus Christ dying for our sins and canceling our debt. Now, what's frustrating about this is that in our society, we have somehow exalted our feelings of guilt over the fact of our guilt. But if Jesus Christ truly died for our sins, and has paid the debt, has been that guilt offering for us, then really, our feelings are irrelevant. Our debt has been paid for. the the guilt and condemnation that we feel need not define us. The work of Jesus defines us. And he says we're forgiven. He says the debt has been paid. He says there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The good news of treating guilt as a fact is our feelings no longer have a basis to exist in our hearts and minds as Christians. It's incredibly good news. The result of this would be a true security that would say, Father, I thank you for what Jesus has done for me. And I am now, by his work, in right standing with you. That guilt offering has been paid. And no matter what I feel, no matter what I think, cannot triumph, cannot uh, overcome what you said is true. All right. If you've been a Christian for a while. I've not said anything new. Now comes Shame. Shame is what we feel when we see how our sin affects others. Guilt is about, is I've done wrong before God. Shame says, I can see this wrong that I've done. I can see how it's brought shame and dishonor, how it's hurt the community around me. I see the effects of it. And I'm ashamed for what I've done. Shame takes the private guilt and puts it in a social context. And we're now ashamed, maybe even humiliated, by our behavior. Here's the tricky part. As far as I can tell from scripture, I'm going to read you some verses that are going to, I'm going to try to reinforce this. This is hard, you guys. As far as I can see, the only way to reverse shame is to act righteously. Not to get forgiven. When you look at the Old Testament... You will read, I've just been going through numbers. That's where my daily devotions are these days. And I read a lot about guilt offerings. Why are there, is, is the Old Testament riddled with guilt offerings and there's no mention of shame offerings? Why? Because shame is not remedied through forgiveness. Shame is remedied through living righteously. We'll get to how this is going to be a good moment. (laughs) Good in just a moment. Let me read you some verses. Uh, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. The Holy Spirit has given us the power to walk righteously. The Holy Spirit has given us the power to walk righteously. In Luke 14, 7, it talks about people wanting to have a places of honor at a table. And the moral of that parable is that it is shameful to receive honor that is not the result of righteousness. It's shameful that you would go in shoes because you think that you're entitled. No, the only way that your shame is lifted is if you walk righteously. And you do the right thing. Listen to Romans 2.7. This is shocking. To those who by persistence in doing good. Persistence in doing good. Seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. You want eternal life? You persist in doing good. So that you can receive honor. Honor is directly connected to doing good. To obeying God. Shocking. Shocking. And what this does is produce true significance. So, what I'm suggesting to you so far is that guilt is a fact of when we sin, And it's remedied through a guilt offering. The ultimate offering being Jesus Christ. Shame is seeing the effects of our sin on others. And that is lifted through the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live differently. This is Acts 2.38. For me, it's still my favorite summary of the gospel. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I'm concerned about, my friends. Is the church today has made emotional well-being only about receiving love. That the reason why you feel ashamed, the reason why you feel guilty, it all boils down to not knowing that you're loved. And we've narrowed it down to exactly half of the gospel. For sure, half of the gospel is about knowing that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. But there is a whole other half of the gospel that is about the empowering of the Holy Spirit that would enable us to live differently. My New Testament professor at Regent College, Rick Watts, would say that what is remarkable about the New Testament, the New Covenant, is not the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins was well understood in the Old Testament. And they knew they needed a gift, an offering, paid on their behalf for forgiveness. What's remarkable in the New Testament is the coming of the Spirit. The spirit that would lift us out of our shame and disgrace. Not by saying it's some feeling. But by actually empowering us to live in a brand new way. And the church is so paranoid about something called works righteousness. About earning our salvation. That we have uh, ignored a large segment of the gospel... That commands us to walk in righteousness. Not by our own effort. but By the work of the spirit of God. So as a result. We have people running after. Feeling more and more loved. More and more accepted. More and more cared for. And missing. That the spirit of God has come. To not just change our feelings. But to change our behavior. So that we would be righteous men and women of God. Not in some theoretical, you know, deep, deep down, you really are a good person. But that 2 Corinthians 5.17 would be true. That you are a new creation in Christ. And the old is gone and the new has come. That you are a new person, made new by the Spirit of God. To walk in a brand new way. And as you walk in that way, your shame is lifted. Remarkable stuff. So, what if guilt and shame are precursors, prerequisites for repentance and salvation? What if, in order to repent, and maybe it's why we've struggled to repent, We've not let ourselves experience guilt and shame, experience the fact of it. We've seen it as the enemy of our self esteem. And what if we actually need to feel guilt before we'll ever seek forgiveness, and we need to feel shame before we'll ever seek righteousness? Isn't that interesting? Second Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So there is such a thing as an ungodly guilt and an ungodly sorrow that brings death. Absolutely. But there is a godly guilt and a godly shame that creates space for repentance to really occur. And again, repentance for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. So, here's the problem. If we deal with guilt and shame by trying to feel good or look good, it won't work for us. If we deal with guilt and shame simply by trying to feel better, We will never get in touch with the depths of our depravity and so we'll never be impressed with the sacrifice of Christ or the power of the Holy Spirit. I am shocked by us of how brazen we are in our sinfulness. Brazen! Scripture talks about a, a brazen prostitute who can look you in the eye without any shame. And we look at this, uh, uh, for all of those of you from an Asian culture, I'm sorry, we look at people, uh, west. I'm counting kind of myself as a Westerner, we look at you and we go, oh, you should get more enlightened. That whole shame-based culture thing, that's an embarrassment. You should get over that. You should become, I don't know, more like, like uh, me. And uh, that whole shame thing. I think you're onto something. Now, I get how in shame-based cultures, it has been abused to manipulate and to condemn. I get that. But what we need to do with these words is not discard them, but redeem them. And shame needs to be redeemed, not discarded. The abuses of shame are obvious. And if you've lived in an Asian home, you get it. You know what it's like. But there is something noble about desiring honor and respect, loyalty, hard work, doing the right thing that Westerners have sadly moved beyond. Sadly moved beyond. If we simply think that guilt and shame are feelings, we will just seek better feelings, meaning that we'll sin. Or if it's just about image, which would be the the shame idea that I just have to look good in front of my peers or my family, I can have a hollow heart, but I'm just going to fake it so that I look good and I'm not ashamed. That's wrong. That would be a false shame. If we do these things, we end up hiding and blaming and bragging and hating and lying, medicating, But God offers us a better way. And it's to be honest about what we've done. To not dilute it or excuse it. But to say, I deserve hell. And I deserve rejection. And I'm going to cry out for the forgiveness of God. To cancel my debt and to do what I can't do for myself. And then I'm going to cry out for the power of the Holy Spirit to enable me to be a godly, righteous man. Can you and I honor Christ's name? Can you and I glorify the name of our King and do him proud? Can we do that as a people? Can we defend the honor of our Father and uphold His name and the righteousness that that name implies? I was uh, I was talking to a, uh, uh, I was talking to Pastor Seth Trimmer in in uh, Corvallis, Oregon, um, a week or two ago, and he says, "Greg, he says I've been struggling over." why didn't God in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned, why didn't he just kill the accuser? Like, why would he let the accuser live? And he said something that was very, very interesting. I've been meditating on it because I think it's so profound. He says he's waiting to kill the accuser because the accusation still stands. And this was the accusation. The accusation... That was brought against God by the serpent in the garden is he is not loving, he is not good, and he doesn't care about you. You have to care for yourself. That was the accusation. He's not loving, he's not powerful. And so, uh, Pastor Seth was saying that what's going on right now in human history is God is defending his name. And the way that he's defending his name. Is to raise up a people through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. To demonstrate themselves to be honorable, godly men and women. And that he would be able to put us on the stand. And we would defend him and say he is a good God and a powerful God. He saved me. Not metaphorically from my sin, but practically from my sin. He's made me a new person. And we testify. And Satan will now be on trial. And we will have proven him guilty of his blasphemy by our lives. And when he is judged, he will be cast into hell for eternity. But not until there is a people who will testify of the good name of our God. There needs to come back into the Western church an honor for God and a desire to glorify his name. And unless we grab hold of this, the church, the, the society will look at us with disdain and rightly so. We're so busy feeling forgiven, we haven't gotten around to the whole point of the gospel, which was to, which was to purify our works and to make us godly people. So in conclusion, will you be honest about your guilt and shame? Will you be honest that you're guilty and need forgiveness, but you're also ashamed and need to live differently? Will you be honest about that? As you get in touch with your guilt and shame, I promise you the presence of forgiveness will transform your life. And the power of the Holy Spirit will uh, revolutionize the way you live. Sometimes, you know, I'm just, I'm not impressed with forgiveness. And I lie on my bed and I say, God, show me the depths of my sin again. I, I, I'm not impressed again. And he shows me. And I receive that forgiveness And any feeling that I have easily vanishes. And then I say, Father, I barely represent my father and king on earth. Help me not to be brazen, but to be ashamed of my behavior. And as I'm ashamed of my behavior, I cry out for the spirit of God. And I believe by faith that he will make me a better man. And I don't have to look at pornography. I don't have to self-medicate. I control my tongue. I walk in righteousness. Not to earn my salvation. That was done by the forgiveness of sins. But to demonstrate to the cosmos the greatness of my God. Can we please stand together? Father... We've become so good at managing feelings instead of dealing with reality. And I thank you that your gospel doesn't just manage feelings, it gets to the source and deals with our guilt and our shame. Thank you for your healing power and redemption. But I ask on behalf of my friends that you would give us the grace to be transparent that you would give us the grace to be honest, that we wouldn't look at someone else who we think has worse sins, but that you would enable us to get in touch with our depravity, that gratitude would define our lives. As we're honest, as we're transparent, we cry out, for that perfect guilt offering. Cleanse us of our sin. Reinstate us into relationship with you. Set us free from condemnation. And we welcome the Spirit of God now to change the way we live. I thank you that righteousness is not a metaphor. Father, I know that 1 John tells us that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We will always be sinful until the day we die. We know that. But we also know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in a level of righteousness that rebukes the accusation of the devil against your name. And I ask now that we would get in touch with our shame, that we could receive your spirit. Let's honor this amazing God. If you wanna come forward for a statement of what he's done for you, please receive communion. Let's continue to worship God together.